0: These things permeate throughout everything. In fact, one of the talks, one of the paid talks I gave was talking about how training to be a warrior monk in India made me a better leader.
1: So welcome back to the Recess Podcast, the unfiltered podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. Today we have a a very fun guest, Manu Etikara. He's the head of the iVenture Accelerator at the University of Illinois, and he's helped a lot of different students raise capital and kind of see their entrepreneurial dreams um, come to fruition. Uh, also a Forbes 30 under 30 for what he's done. But apart from that, there's a lot to this guy, a lot more than just entrepreneurship. He's huge into fashion, martial arts, and a lot of different other things that we'll explore. I, n- I know I was talking to you last week, and he was saying like every weekend he almost travels to a whole new country. I was like, I'm going to Amsterdam, and summer. he's like, oh, I was there two weekends ago. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so that was interesting. But what kind of got you interested on this whole entrepreneurship route, or w- when
0: did this start for you? Absolutely. And again, thanks, gentlemen, for having me here. Such a pleasure to be here. You guys run an excellent podcast. I've had a lot of fun listening to it, and I love recess, <laughs> both you know, taking a break and this podcast. So in terms of entrepreneurship, I think when we're young, our parents kind of impress on us, or even like our mentors and friends, that you can do anything. If you want to be the president, if you want to be an astronaut, if you want to be a gold medalist athlete, of course, little Johnny, you got it. But at some point, there is what we call a reality check. Hey, you should think about something that's realistic. You should think about something that's, you know, to be quite honest, much more competitive if, than if you stayed on something that was a little bit more dreamy, quote unquote. <clears throat> For me, my father was a small business owner, as a lot of South Asian men mm-hmm. in that age group are. And so that was like, I thought it was the coolest thing. I didn't really know what he did. <laughs> But I thought it was really neat that he had a business and that he was his own boss. For me, ultimately, I think one of the driving forces was looking at ways to positively impact the world. And you can do that through technology. You can do that through healthcare, But I think you can really, really do that through ideation and powerful ideas. And that's where entrepreneurship, I think, can really affect the world. So for me, ultimately, it was just the magnitude of change and impact that I wanted to have on the world. That's so what kind of kicked it off. Did your dad want you to be, like, a doctor or a <laughs> engineer or a lawyer? So, so, I mean, I am South Asian. I'm Indian. So we have three kind of <laughs> potential career paths. It's doctor, okay? You know this, Rohan. Of course. It's engineer or you're a failure. This is, like, the three options you got. That's what my parents can of My mom's me. a doctor. My dad's an engineer. I'm the failure. <laughs> so, you know, all jokes aside, my parents really did want me to be a physician. And my entire undergraduate career reflected that. I was an EMT, I rode in the ambulance to save lives. I did research in psychology. I trained Paralympic athletes, actually, at the Disability Resource and Educational Services Center. I was recognized for this work by the chancellor at the time. Like, If you looked at my resume, it just screamed healthcare. But then I graduated, and I realized I didn't want to be a physician. And that's like the worst time, right? And you gentlemen are both seniors, right? Yeah. Congrats. Awesome, four years you just whizzed by, right? Yes. It did, it oh, did. But once you're a senior, especially if you go to a wonderful college like Geese or the Granger College of Engineering, like here, you have so many opportunities. Google, big three consulting, big four accounting. Like I was stuck with an applied health sciences degree pre-med and I was like, I don't know what to do. So I did the best thing I could, which is I ran away from home like a good Indian boy and I traveled (laughs) the world. So I had saved up some money when I was an undergrad. I was a personal trainer and I used that to go to tiger preserves in India. Buddhist monasteries, the Arabian desert, hot springs in Mexico, got to get away from America, from the pace of life here, and really get time to think for myself on what I wanted to do. And that's when I came upon that epiphany about magnitude of impact. And that's what kind of kickstarted my entrepreneurial journey when I came back to America. Wow. Yeah, I think what gave you the the courage to do something
2: that most people around you probably weren't doing, going traveling the world and figuring out what it is that you really want to do. Most people are like, I graduated college, like, I have to get a job right now. Otherwise, like, I'm a failure. So what gives you that courage to go out and do something that's, quote, unquote, crazy like that or (laughs) seems crazy from the outside to, like, the
0: average person? So two things. I'm a big fan of history. Napoleon, I think, said something along the lines in French that the word impossible is not French, Interesting. Number two, I think you're the average of the five people who spend most of your time with. Would you believe it that my senior year of college, I had friends that were starting companies that were hitting the seven-figure revenue mark, that were exiting companies, that were securing investment from like the founders of YouTube, that definitely had an impression on me. So I was like, I don't really care what everyone else is doing. This is kind of the path that I wanna go down. That's what really kind of kick-started things. So
1: if you know you kind of have those interests, where do you find those people? A lot of them are just kind of quietly working on their own, right? Like. One of our good friends we brought on the podcast, Ben Rosen, he's not that involved in the entrepreneurship community, but he's quietly building an app that has like 3 million downloads now, right? How do you find these people and become friends with them?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So it's so interesting to hear that because I'm not going to date myself, but when I was in college, you know, not too long ago, (laughs) there was not this cohesive entrepreneurship ecosystem. As a non-engineering, non-business student, like I definitely did not belong at any of these things. Like, the landscape has changed so much. And, of course, it's still hard to find people, especially when their head's down. But I think it just comes down to the business of meeting people. People ask why I'm in business. Ultimately, it's because I want to help people, because good businesses solve problems for people. So in terms of finding people, like, you just need to understand people. And that's why I read so much about culture, history, countries. That's why I travel. That's why Whenever I get a chance, you know, on the way here I just I saw some people, they were doing something interesting, I asked what they were about, and I learned and I made a connection. And I think you both have that kind of quality too, right? You're running a podcast, you're inviting interesting people, right? You're going out of your way to meet people. That's what's kind of the genesis of like finding like people to learn from. Interesting. Being a sponge.
1: Got it. So you were traveling and you kind of found these group of friends who were doing some incredible things and were exiting their companies, right? Um, What was your
0: first entrepreneurial venture? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, you know, it was around 2016, and the Uber for X craze had just Uh, blown up. Yeah. You know that, right? Okay. Yeah. And it was legit at the time. There was Uber for dry cleaning. There was Uber for dog walking in Chicago had raised $10 million. Wag, I believe, or something like that. And this is kind of essentially like I wanted – the title of entrepreneur i wanted to appear like i was doing the thing and me and my friends we looked at everything and we looked at the landscape and we we're like you know what's missing uber for haircuts <laughs> <laughs> and i guess post pandemic that's not so crazy an idea and at the time there was a company in new york called glam squad and they were doing makeup and updo for busy new york women and we were like oh like let's do haircuts but we did, like, everything wrong. <laughs> no customer discovery, didn't solve a problem, didn't look into, like, actual marketing, didn't think about problems, right? Like, most men have a relationship with their barber, mm-hmm. okay? So, like, we're just going to let a random person come in whenever they're free. Who cleans up the hair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be quite frank, I was the first barber on Bo. we <laughs> it is a two-sided marketplace, and we're like, oh, yeah. we built the app. We spent, like, $40,000 to build the app, and we have people signing up, but we have no barbers, <laughs> So a lot of things just didn't line up there. And we failed to raise capital, and we actually shut it down. Wow.
1: That's pretty fascinating. So then flash forward, what happened? What, what was next in the journey from that failure? Oh. Quote, no. unquote. You probably learned a ton from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So at that point, I basically, I kicked out of my house. You know, so I'm there like, this entrepreneurship thing isn't working. But one of the things that we focused on, which wasn't really good marketing, was if you Google things, there'll be like top, or most promising startups in Chicago in 2016 mm-hmm. or some, some stuff like that. So a lot of press. We spent a lot of time like finding and garnering press, yeah. which is not the same as like finding users and solving their problems. Yeah. But some folks in Las Vegas, I don't know if you know the Zappos crew. Zappos is the, was the world, I think it still is, the world's largest online shoe store. Yeah. The founder, Tony Shea, his investment team actually reached out to us and they invested in our next idea. And they're just like, you guys can build something, just don't do the haircut thing anymore. Yeah. And that kind of kickstarted a journey in terms of entrepreneurship, startups, testing, learning, building. And that's kind of what led to my current role here.
1: So they invested in you kind of as a founding team more so than like the idea. They knew you had this haircut idea and they're like, hey, we like you guys, but we don't like this idea. Take this money and go do something else with it. So what would you do with that?
0: So Las Vegas was interesting at the time because it was the haven for advertising. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of advertising companies there and what we did was we looked at ads and we looked at social media ads at the time and when you input ads on social media especially if it's the same ad there are some resizing kind of protocols for each kind of platform and we kind of automated that process that team I no longer work with that team they're great friends of mine but they've gone on to pivot to essentially create a no code tool for referral software and that's kind of the 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 story there in terms of that company. After that, I returned to Chicago. And then using all these skills, these networks, I kind of did contract work for hire. So I built websites, I did mobile app design, and we kind of ran like a mobile app design firm in Chicago. So you mentioned there's
2: all these things that you did wrong on your first startup, that looking back now, you're like, those are all terrible things to do. What are some of the things that someone should do if they want to start a startup? What is, like, the right path to go in order to (laughs) take an idea and make it a startup?
0: So, you know, again, for people listening here, like, I don't think there's any one right path. You know, like, in science, for example, there's, like, convincing evidence of, like, certain things. The reason podcasts like this are so important is because you bring in so many different people and their perspectives, right? So I actually always preface everything that I tell my students with, like, I'm not going to give you this. This is just advice, but you decide what to do with your venture. In our opinion, looking at the research that we've done longitudinally on iVenture entrepreneurs, there's a couple things. So one, if you do want to start a business, it really, really helps to solve a problem. And that's probably no surprise for both of you, like actually find something that's, you know, that needs solving. That's number one. Number two is just like a business needs to drive enough value for someone to purchase it. So Someone needs to pay for you to solve that problem. I would say those two things are probably, first and foremost, super important. That being said, though, there are several exceptions. For example, now what we're seeing with a lot of people is they build audiences first. They don't build products and test them. They build audiences first. They build loyalty among their users, and then they present something to them. You know, and we, We're probably pretty familiar with like the blue ocean, red ocean mm-hmm. kind of philosophies here of Competing in an area that everyone's competing or not, you know, picking like your own kind of unique niche, creating something that people don't even know what they want. So there's multiple avenues to this. And I'm not like, I'm very careful against preaching dogma in terms of entrepreneurship.
1: Mm -hmm. Explain dogma. I remember Steve Jobs brought that up in his commencement speech, but I want to hear it from your perspective.
0: So that's a fantastic speech. Uh, People should definitely listen to that. I think that was so motivating in that speech when he was like, The only way to figure out, you know, what is it to do great work is to love what you do. Yeah. Um, in terms of dogma, I think dogma is just dangerous in anything. There's always exceptions to the rule, like in fitness, for example, like if you're thinking about like, you know, like bodybuilding, for example, there's, there are certain parameters for like strength, but for hypertrophy, like you can train (laughs) with high reps, mid range reps or low reps and all of those build muscle. In entrepreneurship, I think there's very, very many different avenues. And it really depends on a couple things, especially your special sauce. It's like you, Rohan, like, you know, what is your special sauce? Is it like, I'm an expert in Indian cinema in Indian history and fitness. And that trifecta can, you know, creates a pretty unique brand Mm. and community demographic and edge, right? Usually people have that. When you look at some of the biggest companies right now, most of them come from founders who are... Fairly affluent, came from certain neighborhoods who had access to certain kinds of technology, economies, and resources. So I think that's a very important factor. And that's one of the things that we try to shift here. So all of our entrepreneurs, <clears throat> we actually do not take equity from them. And the reason is we kind of want to level the playing field and give access to as many people as possible in terms of actually building something.
1: So where does the money come from then that gets funded to these startups?
0: Very nice people. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Believers. Yes, believers. So the the Iventure Accelerator Program is actually a program in the Origin Ventures Academy for Entrepreneurial Leadership. Origin Ventures is a venture capital firm in Chicago. You might know Grubhub. Mm-hmm. They were the first investors in Grubhub. Wow. And Steve Miller and Bruce Barron are both geese alums, good friends and the donors of the program.
1: That's awesome. I heard a, a good Naval quote back to the thing you were just talking about. It's just like The best way to escape competition is through authenticity and just being yourself. Um, But I know from my understanding, you've managed a portfolio of over 100 different companies, nonprofits, and projects that have generated over like half a billion dollars of value. You've created over uh, 500 full-time jobs under your leadership and brought people to Y Combinator and other successful awards like that, right? What are some of these common traits that you've seen in the founders that has kind of made them successful? Good
0: question. And you know, shout out to Naval. That's like our awesome Indian uncle. There's like you know, Naval <laughs> the is the philosopher great. of yeah, our generation. Yeah, I think they call him the uh, the tech the tech Buddha. That's one the of the tech Buddha name.
1: of Silicon Valley or yeah. something. Yeah,
0: very wise guy. So he's he, honestly the reason I downloaded Twitter <laughs> because yeah. his tweets are good. So in terms of common traits of the entrepreneurs that we see, and again, understanding that we might be much different than a traditional accelerator, right? We're looking at the entrepreneur. We're looking at the founder. We take nonprofits. We take social culture projects. So in our application, we ask for a couple things. One is the technical prowess of the founder in the problem area, heralding to what I just said earlier, of what they're working on. So if it's, you know, if it's a mobile app or the UCS students, can they actually program it, right? Number two, commitment of the founder to the problem. So The first question we actually ask our entrepreneurs is, why do you do what you do? It has nothing to do with their company, their financial models, nothing. It's you, the entrepreneur, why are you working on this problem? So they have a strong why, Mm. and they're committed to this problem long term. I think three, to be quite frank, is coachability. So the iVenture community is now in its ninth cohort, which is crazy. And the entire program revolves around peer-to-peer learning. So right here, right now with you guys, this is probably the most I've talked to students in a while. Usually I'm in listening mode. And usually the students give advice and insights to other students. So I think those three kind of criteria are very important for us. So I'm interested on your take on this. Uh, It's a little
2: bit changing topics, but I think Rohan and I are very different in this area. Um, I think there's like two main areas of like, the entrepreneurial community that I've seen. There's like the like sweaty startup, boring business type thing, or there's like the more techy like <laughs> zero to one, zero to one type stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what your take is on you. I know you mentioned like impact earlier, um, where that fits into like this dichotomy. It seems like of entrepreneurship where there's either sweaty startup type stuff where it's like a business that's been done a thousand times, Online but like, or something like yeah, that. something like that versus zero to one where you're creating a new product or you're creating something new and finding product market
0: fit in that area. Yeah. I'm really glad you asked that question. That's uh, an excellent question. And the reality is a couple things. So one, successful venture-backed companies like, you know, the traditional mold of what people think an entrepreneur is like this Series A software B2C company, those are fairly rare when we look at, you know, the thousands of small businesses in America. So the backbone of America is small businesses, but again, very few of them are venture-backed. Okay? So a lot of them are mom-and-pop stores and, you know, unglamorous industries, right? The reality is, though, if we tie everything back to impact, I do believe that regardless of whatever our students choose, because some do go into real estate, some do purchase uh, franchises, some do do these kind of quote-unquote boring things. The reality is they're still driving value, okay? And ultimately, what we believe is if you can make as much value or as much money as possible, you're in a good position to use that resource, that influence, and that money to drive more change in the world. So when we look at, like, average salaries of CEOs of nonprofits, for example, usually they're fairly low. And usually these nonprofits have to work very, very hard to donate money. And this is essentially the concept of effective altruism. Like, you can make a lot of money working at big tech, you know, big banking, or, like, running these boring businesses and use that money, that influence to drive change in the world. Do you ever worry about,
2: like, that path and, like, people say that, but sometimes it can be, like, (laughs) turn into something that's not – at the beginning, you're like, okay, I want to make a bunch of money so that one day I can, like – or I can give that money invested into – these areas that I think I want to have an impact on. But then your goalpost keeps moving and moving and moving. And next thing you know, you're like living in a mansion and nobody's
0: actually been helped because the money that you made is like fun to spend. Sure. So I think that's a a good question, but I think there's a distinction. So if your business actively harms someone, absolutely, I think morally there's something wrong with that. But if your business grows, I have students that want to have mansions. I mean, I wouldn't imagine myself, yeah. honestly. <laughs> but that business in itself—let's say you're just keeping driving, you're just driven to grow it bigger and bigger. Ultimately, will employ people, will drive an economy, will provide some service and some value to people, even if you're not actively donating to folks. So, I think it really depends on whether or not the business is doing actual harm. And ultimately, like, I don't want to stand in between anyone and their goals. Like, of course, I have a personal view on it. But like, I mean, if you want to make money and live in a mansion, drive an awesome sports car, like, cool. Mm. For us, like, it's very clear what we want to do. Like, I th- we really drill value and the why and the mission into companies. I don't mission. think either is wrong. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, changing up a little bit. Actually, I just remember this. Before
1: I met you, you influenced my life in a way that you don't even know. Um, I had seen your your personal website. I think it was like sophomore (laughs) year or something like that. I don't know how I stumbled upon it. Probably LinkedIn or whatever. And you had this video on there about the jelly beans. Do you know this? Yes. Man, (laughs) this video I've now shared with so many people. And it's the way I live day-to-day life now is totally different. Like I make lists of everything I'm doing to make sure I'm living an exciting life. But basically there was this video where it's like, This guy pours out a bucket of 28,000 jelly beans or something like that. And each jelly bean represents a day of your life. And and they show like removing a third of the pile of jelly beans because that's how much time you spend sleeping. They remove a ton of jelly beans because that's how much time you spend brushing your teeth or commuting to work or doing all these other things. And at the end of the video, you see there's just this tiny little pile of jelly beans. That's just like how much time you actually have left to do the things you want to do, like learn guitar or hang out with friends or things like that. Um, do you feel like you live with this new sense of urgency after seeing that video? And how do you kind of go about that? Or what well, are your
0: overall thoughts there? I'm I'm glad it was a positive
1: way that it influenced your life. Yeah. <laughs> I was hesitating
0: there for a minute. Yeah, because I know
1: it gives, I've sent that to some people and they're like, that just gave me anxiety. <laughs> like, yeah. what am I doing with my life?
0: Yeah. Um, so the Jelly Bean video, if you're listening, it's on YouTube. The creator is ZE Frank. And Rohan described it quite eloquently. Yes, absolutely. It's impacted my life because... You know, you asked kind of in the beginning what drove me on this path. The second answer to that question is I want to look back at my life and be like, whoa, that was like a movie. (laughs) And number two, live life every day where, you know, when I was building my startup, we had a one bus rule. So it was me and my co-founder. It's a little Mm -hmm. morbid, but basically we wrote down all of our documentation for – you know, if one person got run over by a bus, and you never know what the champion Urbana bus is. <laughs> <right? laughs> the other founder had all the information to carry on. But the takeaway from that is just like, get to a point in life, at least for me, where it's just like every day, it's just, wow. I'm, like super grateful to be alive, super grateful for everything that I have, because a lot of people in the world don't get to live like us, right? Being Americans, like we're top, probably 8% of the world. like. My phone probably costs more than the average annual salary in some countries in West Africa, which is nuts that's something that we can't even like <clears throat> truly empathize with so absolutely live with urgency seize the day try to make the most out of it even when you don't feel great
1: mm-hmm. you're always making the most out of it and we were talking about like you're traveling a little bit and how you've been all the, all over the world what is a pie chart of Instead of asking about like a pie chart of your day or your week, what's a pie chart of your
0: month look like?
1: How often are you in champagne, and what are you doing with your time in general these days?
0: Sure. So pie chart of my day or of my month. Either,
1: however you want to go about so, that question.
0: I, I think I, at the beginning of each year, I set kind of like an outline for what the year kind of looks like. And to reflect your question about the month, I think it's just organized by priorities. So right now I have three priorities. One is content. So thanks for letting me on this podcast. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't go all down after this. <laughs> number two is fitness. I always have a pretty big fitness goal. And number three is kind of business. Like, again, trying to create my own personal value in the world. So those would be kind of like the three main things that I focus on. So when we look at kind of, and obviously I venture, my job. <laughs> yeah. So those are kind of the three, four things that I focus on. Okay, so let's go one by one with each of those. Sure. So with iVenture Accelerator, my full-time commitment is in the summer. Um, Actually, I should say like double full-time. So we're here in the Siebel Center for Design and we're working with an awesome cohort of entrepreneurs and we're doing anything and everything to help them build, scale, grow, and learn. And we do not care if your venture fails, we just care only if you learn and it was a good experience. So that leads to some really interesting deep conversations, deep thinking on like, why are you doing this? Do you want to do this? you know, what are the next steps for you? What do you want your life to look like? Because entrepreneurship at that stage is a quite visceral and personal experience. Mm-hmm. So that's iVenture. During the school year, we do a bunch of events. We're recruiting. We're actually a year-long program. So I co-instruct the entrepreneurship seminar for iVenture Accelerator here at Geese. And again, it's just there's no tests and quizzes. We have free pizza every Wednesday if you guys <laughs> want to stop by. But most importantly, it's a place for entrepreneurs to give updates, get feedback, right, from their peers, meet really cool guest speakers, and maintain progress. Because school is tough, and being an entrepreneur in school is very tough. So that's Ivan Trick Solar, and that's the main kind of priority. With content, I think it's really neat because, first of all, I'm so grateful to be here with you guys. You guys are super cool. But the reality is I actually don't get to meet as many students as like a lot of other instructors or directors on campus. Adverture Accelerator is fairly selective. So what that means is probably four out of five applicants, we turn away. So I still do think there's a lot of cool people that could benefit from some of these messaging, right? And so that's where like the, the impetus for content comes from. Just like sharing this message with more people. And the fitness thing, I mean, I'm just a fitness addict, so you know, you gotta keep something going, but. The reason I think I use fitness is it's an anchor because when you're so busy, I think you do need an outlet, some kind of meditative outlet where you can kind of cut out and shut out everything and really focus and go hard on something without worrying about the rest of the world.
2: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you have this uh, this message that you want to get out. And in iVenture, you kind of have a limited amount of people that you can get that out to. And so you want to make content in order to put this message out to a larger
0: group of people. What exactly is that message that you want to get out? Thank you. So a couple things. One, live like it's your last day. Like really don't take any day for granted. Like be, be very happy with that and take milk the most out of that. Number two, try to do something that you love because before you know it, things, I mean, you guys are seniors now, before you know it, things just pass like that. And number three, like it's okay to push yourself. Like most people are capable of great things, but they just never receive, I guess, the push that they need to really strive to that level. So what are the ways that you put out that message? Because I
2: I agree with all those messages. I love them. But how do you get someone to believe in that
0: in the same way that you do? That's tough. (laughs) I think it starts with meeting like-minded people. There's no better alternative to kind of this face-to-face communication that we're doing right now. I'm, I'm super open to suggestions, but that's kind of why I'm thinking about content, thinking about things like YouTube, podcasts, that sort of thing.
1: I liked what you said about fitness and how like in all the chaos of everything, it's one of those things that just like grounds you and it's something that helps you with discipline. And I think Jacob and I both relate to that a lot. Um, but most people when they think of fitness, it's just go to the gym, hit push, pull
2: legs and call it a day maybe run on the treadmill. And it's like one more thing that I have to do. Right. It's like I have all these things I need to do and then like on top of that I have to like drag myself to the gym. And like when you first start at the gym for most people, like they don't enjoy it. Like it takes a while to like get to a point where when you see enjoy some it. progress it's kinda nice. And then I mean eventually that changes, but getting through that first like initial hump is like hard for a lot of people because it does take energy and like it does take time and it does take discipline and all these things that like make it a huge barrier entry for a lot of people
1: yeah and I I like how like for fitness it's on your own terms it's not just the standard stuff you in particular right before this you were uh playing around with the bendy sword on the grass outside you do the Indian martial arts you go to boxing at Leondo's you also hit the gym I'm assuming how like why what are what is it about these other
0: kinds of forms of fitness or art that excites you Sure, and and thank you for the sly comment there. I'm, I'm looking, you know, a little out of shape here. So Rohan's boosting my ego for sure. <laughs> I disagree there, but no, he's definitely making us look bad. We didn't want to do video because yeah, he's like audio video. We're like, yeah, <laughs> you guys are funny. So I think there's a couple really interesting points there. So first, what you just mentioned, like people can often see it as just like, oh man, like these morning routines are crazy. Not only like do I got to just like brush my teeth, but I got to meditate, get sunlight cold exposure and workout, like it's nuts, right? <laughs> Journal Just, and yeah. stack the up nine all yards. These, exactly, stack up all these dopamine, dopamine rushes and like make sure that you're focused and optimized for every day. Where I see fitness is if you're a leader, you have a responsibility, which is there's tons of relationships around you, but the most important relationship in life is with yourself. Mm. So as a leader, you should do everything in your power to function optimally. Because you're making decisions that affect a ton of people. So like things like sleep actually become quite important. Things like having proper blood flow and cognition and enhanced memory and focus due to exercise become important. The ability to push yourself, right? And know where your breaking point is because of fitness, because fitness is a total mental game, right? Like when you're boxing, for example, my shoulders are done after round three. (coughs) (laughs) They're done. (laughs) They're toast. But that's when you tap into this that translates into outside of the ring 100 percent. Mm. so there's so much evidence on the importance of fitness that permeates into your life way more than muscles quite a bit of it is mental quite a bit of it is recovery and i think quite a bit of it is also emotional and social as well like it's a holistic picture in terms of wellness so i think it's just like an excellent cheat code to life It's like one of the best hacks, like be active, get moving. In terms of, I think you asked, why Why these specific forms? So my father was an Indian martial artist, and I think my reason for learning Indian martial arts, it's called Kalari Payat. You can call it Kalari for short. It basically means training in the arts for the battlefield apparently it's one of the most ancient forms of martial art. It's so ancient that literally you learn weapons first because it's designed for the battlefield, because a soldier wouldn't go into war empty-handed. And I thought it was really neat that my father learned it, but more importantly, as I grew up, I thought that there was an interesting perception of Asian-American men here, which was not masculine, which was actually considered quite feminine, And especially in areas of athleticism, dating, like Asian men are ranked very low. Mm -hmm. When you look at the history of India and you compare it to the world, most people don't understand that it's a very martial country. Like it is a country with a history of wars and multiple kingdoms. In fact, India didn't exist until the British kind of conquered all these little kingdoms. So I think those kind of misconceptions and the fact that it's so ancient and the fact that perhaps Buddhism spread Indian martial arts from India to China and actually was the genesis of Shaolin Kung Fu, like all these like hidden facts, that's one of the – those are some of the main reasons I wanted to study Indian martial arts. It's fascinating. So you touched on
1: your four main areas. There was iVenture, there was content, there was fitness, and lastly, business. Uh, you're also like an angel investor and you kind of have your own little side projects that you're always looking into, right? How
0: do you have time for that
1: with this whole, with this whole mix or what, what does that entail, that business side?
0: For sure. The short answer is I don't have a life. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we talked about fitness and listeners might he- hear me wheeze here. It's because I was biking all the way here and I still haven't recovered. So my heart's kind of recovering here. But <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'm nervous. Who knows? But in terms of business, I think it's, that's where I've learned to leverage a team. Mm. So there's always really cool ideas, really cool vision, things that you want to do. And up to a certain point that you can do things. So, for example, like you take a project like YouTube, come up with idea, script. I mean, chat GPT is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually record the audio. But then it gets to the point where I need to ship it out to my editor because that's the part of the process that I'm not good at. And so with business, it's the same thing. Like whether it's franchises, whether it's like a design agency, whether it's public speaking masterclasses, all things that I do, it's just leveraging a team, training a team and figuring out where exactly... I am irreplaceable and drive the most value. So a lot of times that's actually finding clients. A lot of times it's actually setting up the operations. A lot of times it's actually motivating people like, hey, look, we can do this. Let's do this together. And that's one of the main roles I function as a partner with my business partners.
1: That's fascinating. I always know you as just like the or knew you as just like the iVenture guy and the guy who dresses up in suits every day. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a sec. Um, you have a lot of suits um, that you're always wearing. <laughs> Today, I was shocked. I was like, uh, when Jacob and I were waiting for you to walk in, I'm like, let's make a bet. Like, is he going to come in in a blue suit or a gray suit? Because I'm like, it's almost certain he's coming in in some sort of suit. <laughs> so seeing you in the sweater is interesting. Um, but what does fashion mean to you? Uh I'm like, I assume you have a lot to say about this if, if it's something that's so
0: big in your life. Yeah, well, thank you for noticing that, and I'm sorry to disappoint you guys <laughs> that I'm not wearing a suit. I we keep it casual. Yeah, I say, I say. Well, what if he's not wearing a suit? He's like, oh no, he'll be wearing. A suit. <laughs> all, right, all right, if you say so. Uh, that's why I asked for this video or audio. <laughs> um, I'll make sure to wear my suit next time if you guys invite me. <laughs> so the the reason for a suit, actually, I mean, I think when I was a kid, like I thought Batman was really cool. His daytime job is, you know, Wayne Enterprises. I thought it was really cool that James Bond fought crime in a suit. That's cool. I think like when we're a kid, there's like certain things that are impressionable moments. Yeah. When I was building my startup, my parents were vehemently opposed to it because I wasn't bringing any cash flow. Okay, And as the oldest, especially in a traditional South Asian family, there are some expectations. Mm-hmm. So literally, <laughs> my mother would pray in front of a statue of God. And be like, please, please give Manu. Please give Manu a job where he has to wear a suit (laughs) in front of me. (laughs) I'm just sitting here, like, in my hoodie, you know, my shorts. And I'm like... So once I got to iVenture, the first thing I did was buy 10 suits in every color. And I always send my mom selfies here at the Siebel Center um, bathroom. She's like, stop sending me these selfies. I keep sending them. It's interesting
1: because... um For example, we competed for Galleon in the the Cozad Challenge and I've been to different startup pitch competitions and just been involved in these communities. And everyone there is the total opposite of like the business finance environment where I was wearing business casual and I was like the most overdressed person by far. Everyone's in like a black T-shirt and looking like Steve Jobs or Zuck, right? (laughs) Um, So that's interesting, the dichotomy there that you're like – overdressed, not overdressed, but you're dressed with like a suit and very fancy, whereas everyone around you is just in like a white t-shirt or something, right?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple more points to that. And I'm glad you mentioned that. When I took this role, you know, I was in my early 20s. So I really didn't know anything. And to be quite frank, I don't know much now either. But when I came in, I was very green. And there was no way I knew everything about how a university worked, how entrepreneurship worked, how to be an educator how to give advice to people, how to conduct myself in meetings. So I just didn't have the knowledge base, right? It wasn't crystallized yet. What I could do is be professional, polite, and punctual. Always take notes, look good, and just be nice to people, right? So I think that's where the suit helped me because whether or not, like, one day, like, you're at the country club and you meet the chancellor or the next day you run into the dean or the next day, like, students come to you, like, there is some respect built in for a piece of clothing that elicits some form of respect.
1: It's interesting. I definitely relate on some level. And I think whenever I wear a suit, I definitely feel better. Like I'll have – when I was interviewing for like either internships or full-time jobs, even though they were on Zoom post-COVID, I would still dress up in a full suit, even wear like dress pants and (laughs) shoes, put on some cologne because I just feel like subconsciously like I'm in the setting now of a job interview and it actually like affected my performance. So it's interesting.
0: And, and the one thing I'll say is um, I wouldn't use the word corporate because I have a pink suit, purple suit, blue suit, yeah. green suit. I have every color except black. So I still wanted to showcase oh, my personality. Oh, that's interesting. That's true. Yeah. So I, I'd like for you to
2: touch on the intersectionality of all these different things that when someone looks at you, they see, right? So they see <laughs> martial arts. They see competitive bodybuilder. They see entrepreneurship. They see venture, They see world, travel. world travelers. All these different things. And for someone on the outside looking in, it's easy to say, like these things don't really connect to each other. Like he's one hour he's in here in the gym, like pumping iron. <laughs> the next hour he's like in a suit in front of a class. So how do these things all I- interconnect to each other,
0: and how do they interact with each other? For sure, there's an interesting book called The Medici Effect, and it talks about a period in time, especially when the Medici's, where the Medici family was active in Italy towards the beginning of the Renaissance. And it analyzes why the Renaissance actually started. Okay, so there's this period in European history called the Dark Ages. But the reality is those same Dark Ages were the golden age for Islamic, uh, the Islamic Caliphate actually. And the reason the Renaissance was sparked in part was because the Islamic scholars preserved a lot of the ancient Roman and Greek texts. And there was trade coming in from Asia as well through the Silk Road. So when we think about the intersection of all these different things, I think true innovation comes from kind of what we do at iVenture. We bring in really smart people from all across campus, all these different disciplines under the same roof. With me, when we talk about fitness, my interest in content, history, iVenture, all these different things that make me as a human, all those different things, believe it or not, present themselves all the time. So for example, when I'm in the gym, guess what questions I get? They're all about entrepreneurship. Oh, you're the adventure guy? Let's talk business. (laughs) When I'm talking to my startups, guess how many students come to me asking me about fitness questions. Oh, wow! So it's just very cyclical. These things permeate throughout everything. In fact, one of the talks, one of the paid talks I gave was talking about how training to be a warrior monk in India made me a better leader. So all these things come and synthesize in a way, and that's the the basis for true, innovative, original thought. It's the intersection of all these things. Bro, you're so freaking Dude, cool. I cannot believe I just asked guy's you a dropping question. Bombs.
2: I asked you a question about like, <laughs> oh, like how, how does working out and being an entrepreneur connect? And you start saying this like history renaissance. That was so cool. I need to start doing <laughs> that. That's so cool.
1: So actually, I'm curious about that. Um, well, first of all, Jacob and I say this. We say like some of the most interesting people we've ever met are the ones where it's so unexpecting what's about to come out of their mouth next. Like they will be a huge bodybuilder, but they'll also write poetry and they're also a good chef and they also do yoga. And it's just like, it it doesn't feel like it's supposed to fit that stereotype. So you're, you're like the prime example of that. I love it. (laughs) Second thing is, this is a pretty, like, unique, random, from my perspective, nonfiction book, right? How do you – what's your strategy or structure for learning new things? Do you, like, find – are you a big reader? Do you watch a lot of videos or podcasts or blog posts? Or what's your be- best way to, to continuously learn throughout life?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because I, I do believe one of the most important skills, especially today, is, you know, it's, it's essentially the Red Queen hypothesis – which is, it's not the strongest or the smartest that survive. It's the ones most adaptable to change. See, here's another, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I got them all started, up guys, you know? I, I you got in his my notes. Um, so it's, w- with, with kind of like, sorry, question one more time. Basically, how do you go about, how do you continuously learn throughout life? Continuous What's your strategy learn. there? Yeah. So, and you asked like about reading podcasts, video, et cetera. There was a point in my life when I was reading a book a week, And I was digesting as much as possible and just diving into what I thought were the classics. Because when you look at literature, a lot of literature is influenced by the classics. So like, you know, the dialogues of Plato, for example, like the Mahabharata in India, like Mm -hmm. these, these epics that essentially encapsulate the cultural consciousness of a civilization. So there's that. That was one period. I think there's a second era when I was just, like, consuming new information. So wonderful thinkers like Naval Ravikant or Andrew Huberman, you know, these kind of podcasters that present information that is easy to digest and learn from. But I think right now <clears throat> where I am is it, it's difficult to find time to sit down and do that. The best thing I can do is to find experts and learn from them. And experts are everywhere. My students are all experts in different industries, different niches. Every single person on earth can teach you something. Mm -hmm. And that's why, with the exception of this podcast, I'm usually listening. So my boxing coach, my martial arts guru, my father, my brothers, students, even the people I met on the way walking here learn things.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's true. If you take, like, an hour-long conversation with someone who's been studying a specific topic for 10 years, that's, like, a ton of nuggets packed into one thing. I mean, just like this podcast, I feel like even. Yeah. Um, and,
0: and just a quick pointer. It doesn't need to be anything, like, they don't need to drop in all these history lessons. Like, it can literally be, like, where do you get your haircut? Why do you dress like that? Like, people, as you both are doing ex- excellently, they want to open up. They want to share. And, you know, there, there is a word for this. I don't know if it's a real world. It's called Sonder. I think it's an internet word. You might have heard of it. It's like the realization that in every individual human, there's like a whole universe, Mm -hmm. right? That's nuts, right? You guys have so many different experiences, so many different things that you've done. And all these things at this point in time and space have led us three to be here talking. So, of course, like we can learn so much from everyone if we just shut up. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. I think there's so many things that like it's really easy to cognitively know them, but when it comes to like truly understanding and believing them, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. So for example, you were mentioning earlier, like the things, the message that you want to get out to people is like, live every day like it's your last. And so many people think that and realize like, oh, like, yeah, like life is short, like whatever, but they don't actually truly like live that every day. Right. And So how do you, and I think a lot of these things that like when people truly like start to understand them and actually believe them, it's due to like some crazy life experience, right? Like I almost got hit by a bus and now I'm like, whoa, (laughs) for the next like two weeks, I'm like, whoo! I'm so glad to be alive right now. But like before that, I I didn't know I was going to get hit by the bus. And if I actually got hit by the bus, I wouldn't have realized it was going to be my last day. So how do you like going back to the content thing or just in general, like how does someone actually truly like not just learn something cognitively, but, like, truly actually believe or understand what it truly means, like, deep down and, like, live
0: live that. Yeah. That's a really good question. So I don't want people to take away from this that you should live in fear. I think there's a difference, right? Like, what is it yesterday is history tomorrow is a mystery and today is a gift that's
1: why they call it the present hey
0: master Ugwe. Hey, can watch fu kung fu panda <laughs> <laughs> give me some dab for that <laughs> so i think that's one thing i think the second thing is it's important to prioritize relationships and experiences in life so if you see death for example which i did as an EMT if you're seeing people with severe disabilities at end of life which I did as a volunteer. It's just like, wow, these things really change. If you are lucky to be blessed enough with people that are, like, really old. Like, my uncle is 90 years old. He's the one that told me the relationship quote. It just You just shut up and listen to those kind of things. So I think that's, like, one thing, like, learning from people and listening to people. I think the second thing is just, like, maybe this might be my personal bias, but when you do adrenaline-seeking things like hiking up the side of a mountain – Or having a sword swinging at your face, like you're like, okay, like if anything messes up here, like I'm done. And that gives you a a fresh perspective on life and coming back and taking the most out of it. So I think those are things. I think the third thing that I would add to this is just momentum is very real. It's not about fear. It's not about like, I need to do everything today that I possibly can. It's about doing everything that I should. that makes sense. Mm. So like, we don't need to check off a list of things to make sure we're functioning optimally. It's just like, this is what I should do. This is what I want to do. I think that's really important. So when you have all these different things that you're doing,
2: um, you mentioned the four things earlier, what gives you the like drive to go deep into these things? Like, for example, like bodybuilding, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did a, a show or two or more, right? You did at least one. And for a lot of people, they just go to the gym and they, like, make it part of their day. But they never go so deep into it where they're, like, at a show. And so in all these different aspects of your life, how do you have the drive to go so deep into them to where you're, like, in the deep end actually, like, competing or doing these, like... Serious, serious stuff like traveling. Some people travel and they'll like go on a weekend <laughs> trip and like stay in a hotel or whatever. And then you're saying, like, Oh, I'm out here with the tigers and like with monks and stuff. So, how do you get it to do like where instead of just like touching the surface on all these different things, how do you actually go deep into them?
0: Sure. I think it's very simple. It's just whatever I want, I, I do, I want to be really good at it. Otherwise, it's not worth my time. So, if it's a relationship, if it's business, if it's iVenture, if it's fitness, like I want to be good at it because especially in my position, people ask me questions. So when I I actually came into college, I was 115 pounds. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm maybe five pounds heavier than that. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a former gymnast, uh, track and field, cross country. skinny. And started lifting weights. And of course, I got attention, but more importantly, got questions. And if people ask you for advice, I think you have a responsibility to either not give advice or make sure that you give qualified advice. That's what kicked off the personal training. That's what kicked off bodybuilding. How could I give advice as a personal trainer if I hadn't pushed myself as much I'm going to push my clients? How can I give advice to high venture entrepreneurs if I've never done that thing myself either? right? So I think that's one of the major forms in terms of drive. And the other thing heralds to what I said earlier, which is like, I mean, I just want to do cool stuff. Like life's got to be cool, you know. It's got to be fun. Like looking back, this guy, like every, like this is fun. Mm-hmm. This is cool. This is <laughs> more, I didn't even know this room existed. <laughs> you know, this is cool.
2: Yeah, I think I have this misconception, or I've, I've have had in the past, that like if I spend time or energy going deep into this one thing, then I'm giving up a lot of time or energy that I could be spending on other things. But what I've kind of realized from like speaking with you today is that some of that passionate energy you can put into one area also correlates into other areas and can be beneficial in totality in your life.
0: So I don't think you're wrong at all. So all these things that you see, you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys, is they were deep dives into things at one point in time. Mm -hmm. So deep dive into bodybuilding. And I was very lucky to win some shows and do that. But I don't compete anymore. Like deep dive into martial arts, like I think I spent... Almost six months in India. This is nuts. Like 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. training. Like every hour was like a different kind of aspect of the martial arts. Getting beat up. Go home, eat, sleep, shower. Wake up at one to two. Review the morning's training. Eat lunch. Go back 3:30, 7:30. Like it was. It's, it's like Hobie schedule. Yeah, guess. yeah. It was crazy with boxing right now. Like I'm doing almost probably three workouts a day, 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 5.30. So, like, it, like I just believe skill repetition is so important. And You mentioned Kobe. Like, he didn't leave practice until he made 400 shots. Yep. There's something about neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and make sure that your motor neurons fire from just repetition. So, I like, all these things, I don't disagree with you. I think you need to go hard, push the other things to the side, and make sure you get to some kind of, you know, there's this 10,000-hour rule. I think there's also a 100-hour rule in terms of, basic competency, um, getting to that level before you start reincorporating those old things.
2: So do you do it as like you have for one period of your life, you're going to go all in on this and kind of like, maybe not all in, but like 90% in, and then like, let the other things like kind of take a backseat and then you'll switch and then you'll go to something else more like deep into that. And then just like over in time. summer,
1: how you're working like almost double full time for iVenture.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I-, I think that's the best way to like, just make like crazy progress, like I mean, in the last two weeks, I think I've gone to the boxing gym like 40 times. <laughs> they gave me the unlimited package, but now they're thinking about removing it. it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah, it's a great way to learn. It's a great way to make progress. And it's just, I, I, and more, most importantly, it's a great way to make mistakes. You want to make as many mistakes as possible. So Mr. Beast, big YouTuber, he said that there's a time in his life when him and his buddies just locked themselves up. Mm-hmm. And they quadrupled their failure rate because they were all making videos and all critique each other. Like, you want to fail. I, I, I want to fail all the time so I can be better. Mm. Right? It's like the MJ quote. He points to me. Because oh, yeah, okay. I've been hitting a lot of <laughs> these
1: quotes. Let's see. So, you missed 100% of the shot. And, oh, oh, is Wayne it? Grisky, oh, wait, wait, wait. I think, yeah, that is. I got it. <laughs> it's I've been trusted to take, like, the final shot, like, 2,000
0: times. And I've missed almost most of them or something like that, right? Yeah, something like that. So the gist, <laughs> the gist of it is, like, I've been trusted to win the game-winning shot, like, 26 times. I've missed, like, X amount of free throws. I failed time and time over and over again. That's why I succeed. Mm. Super dual. Super cool. It's fascinating.
1: If, if, you could, uh, if you could teach, say you didn't need Dean Brown's approval. You didn't, it didn't have to be about business or engineering or tech or whatever hey, you you want. Don't get me fired here. <laughs> what's, the, what's, the, what's one class you would want to teach? It could be about anything. Something, a message you really want to get across. And, and how would you structure that class? This might be a hard question. But I think you're...
0: That is a hard question, especially when I'm thinking about my future at the college here. (laughs) (laughs) So I really do like iVenture. I'm really blessed to be here. Um, If I had to teach something, it would probably revolve around prioritizing your goals, actually mapping your vision for your life, and optimizing yourself so that whatever goals that you choose you are amped up, well-suited, well-armed to tackle them. In terms of the structure of this course, if it's 16 weeks, I think the first quarter would focus on analyzing the goal. I think the the second half would be optimizing your processes. And then we'd have a midterm on how much work you've actually done after learning those processes. And then I think the rest of it would be kind of open-ended in terms of, you know, do our goals shift? What are new processes? And having peer-to-peer review and critique of goals and processes and optimization with the final revolving around whether or not your goals are big enough, driven enough, and have a strong why.
1: That was all on the spot? Wow.
2: <laughs> I love that. I'll s- Sign me up. Um, all right. So give me some advice, okay? Um, I... Maybe say I have a couple of different different goals, and one of my goals is to be, like, the coolest guy in the room. You, and you like, already won. No, no, no. The second goal is to make the most impact I can make. That means making a boatload of money and investing it into areas that I care about. Um, how do I match those two goals, and how do they, like – what do I do with that? Sure.
0: How would, you, how would you advise me on that? Well, you know, I'd preface this by saying you're the boss of your life and you can do whatever you want. But the first thing i do is ask you a question, which is, why do you want to be the coolest guy in the room? It sounds cool. What does being the coolest guy in the room mean? I think it's like when
2: it's all, it's all subjective. I'll say for, for me personally, it's like having cool stories it's having cool experiences, and it's having knowledge in any area. I think it's hard to say because whatever room you walk into, like, it's different, right? I, I remember I uh, visited one of my buddies. He lives out in California. He, like, lives on an airport, and everyone there flies. So they all fly, like, different planes, whatever. And I go there, and the first question they asked me is, like, do you fly? And I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, cool, we don't care about anything else. <laughs> they didn't say that, but they're just like, all right, we don't care about you anymore. Like, you're not cool. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, like... I guess it depends on what area, but basically, like, go being able to go into, like, any one of those rooms, depending on whatever it is, and, like, at least have something to...
1: Have interesting stories to amplify the relationships.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, It's, like, at least have something to connect with, like, all these different people, right? Like, say, if I just, like, had my pilot license, I could at least, like, interact with those people. Or, like, if I'm in a different room where it's, like, high finance people and I, like, at least know some about that, then I can interact with them and be, like, cool or whatever, right? For sure.
0: So, I mean, rest assured, both of you are very cool. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the thing I, I would say is, like, for me, I don't want to be the coolest person uh-huh. in the room. I, I think something, I, maybe The Rock said this. He was like, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, something mm-hmm. along those lines. So it's. I would just challenge you to challenge that want or mm-hmm. need of yours and be comfortable with who you are and go to as many rooms as possible where you're not the coolest. Because when you're not the coolest or you know whatever metric that we want to use and you go to those rooms of people that are quote unquote cool or whatever more intelligent whatever, you have to elevate your game. So you sh- that's like probably number 1, finding the rooms with with the coolest people where you're not. Mm. I think number 2 in terms of just the different things that you laid out, storytelling or I'm sorry, having cool stories, experiences, so forth. Coolness, you know, or, or having something to offer is very much how you present it. Like, I could have talked this entire time, and I know the audience can't see this, but I'm smiling, I'm having a good time. You guys are also smiling, you know, encouraging me. We could have had a very monotone, stoic chat. Stories about anything are as funny, as serious, right? And just like pitching a company. As you want them to be, as cool as you want them to be, it's about how you present it. I think so. So you're
1: a pretty good storyteller. How have you kind of worked on that skill?
0: Yes, uh, thank you. You get man, you guys give a lot of compliments. So I got to come back here. You deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> um, so storytelling, I think there's a couple things. One, when I was young, I didn't have too many friends, so I watched a lot of movies and I read a lot of books, right? So I became familiar with like the hero's journey, right? Joseph Campbell's hero's mm-hmm. journey. Like, these, like, pillars of actually sharing emotions and, you know, challenges, obstacles, et cetera, that are, make a good story, right? So I think that's one. I think number two, I actually watch a lot of comedians. When I was preparing for speeches, when I, was, when I was young and green here, now I usually just walk up because I think, again, like, familiarity breeds comfortability. When I was first starting out, I watched a lot of comedians, actually. Because I think comedians can sometimes say very off the cuff stuff and still elicit a positive response from an audience. And as an educator there's two things when I'm speaking. One is the actual content that I'm sharing. So like hopefully like people walk away with like okay, I, I learned something here. But the most important thing because I was I was in school not too long ago was I don't want to be bored. So an educator also kind of has to be an entertainer and that's I was actually in drama in high school. That's where I learned stage presence, how to read the audience, because drama is like the audience in front of you. It's not just recorded on camera, right? So getting feedback from the audience, riding the energy waves of the audience, and making sure that they buy into what you have. So almost every speech that I give, every lecture that I give, the first thing that I do is I have the students or attendees do an activity, or I talk to them and I ask them to get them involved, or I get them up and moving. Because then they're bought into what I'm preparing and presenting.
1: You did that at the, um, I believe you did, if I'm rem- remembering correctly, at the iVenture Demo Day in summer. I think when you started off, you're like, everyone look under your seats. And there's like a piece of paper with something, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, we're all on our feet like, wait, wait, what just happened? Where did this paper come from? That, <laughs> yeah. I like when you do
0: that.
2: That's, that's what are some it. of the comedians that you
0: would, you would look up to or watch? i got to give a shout-out to our boy, Russell Peters. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Peters is probably one of the most successful comedians. He's Canadian, Indian, uh, really related to him when I was growing up. I think he's pretty smart. Um, Dave Chappelle is quite smart. Kevin Hart, I think, is a great example of someone who's probably doesn't have, like, the most intelligent or actual funny humor, but he presents things in a way that you can't help but laugh. Yeah. 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 So, again, just the power of storytelling.
1: Mm, interesting. What would be some advice? Like, we're graduating college. There's a lot of people who listen to this podcast that are in our kind of age range. Quote, unquote, real world. What advice do you have for people about to enter this next chapter of life? What are things that we should consider, keep in mind, that you kind of
0: wish you knew earlier, maybe? Um, Let's see. Real world. I think that's an interesting term. I don't know if I really operate in the real world. I'm more about just, like, perhaps not losing the inner child and student in myself. And I think that's one of the cool perks of working in a university is just surrounded by young people that are often ambitious and just like trying to figure things out. So one thing I'd like to highlight is you guys kind of have it rough. Like all people in your generation kind of have it rough. I do a lot of work in terms of researching some of the biggest threats to humankind. So there's an awesome think tank in Oxford called the Future of Humanity. And they basically rank all the different threats to humanity, such as climate change, pandemics, uh, ethics and AI, mm-hmm. nuclear war. They, their experts give a one in six chance of homo sapiens going extinct this century. That is insane. That's a roll of a die. That's why things like iVenture are important because we're motivating young people to think about big problems that could potentially have a huge outsized impact on the human race, hopefully, right?
1: What was their like, thesis? Did you read into it of why they said there's a ch- good chance we're going extinct?
0: Oh, just because the magnitude of these challenges, ch- like climate change, for example, right? When I was growing up in California, like there were fires. Nothing like what there is right now, right? The, I think nine out of the 10 most air polluted cities in America are all in California, right? People are leaving and drove, not just because of taxes, but it's just like literally your house might burn down. The entire southeastern coast of America, like all at risk for flooding. We're looking at things like ChatGPT right now. I'm almost positive Microsoft fired their entire AI ethics team, right? There are some serious implications here about technology and larger forces that could really impact all of humanity. There's never been a point in human history where an individual can have such a great impact, both positive and negative. That's why it's important for people to really think about that kind of stuff.
2: Mm.
1: Pretty interesting.
0: So how would, you, how would you suggest someone think about it coming out of college? Oh, yes. So <laughs> g- coming back to college instead of going all eg- existential. <laughs> so, like, one, like, just understand that, like, this is an interesting world that we're playing in and be ready for that. But I think, two, I, I briefly touched on this was the real world, I, I just don't let it kill your dreams. Don't, don't let it kill your passions. Don't let it kill like, your interests. Like Keep learning. Keep finding a way to do things. Do not become stagnant. Right? We talked about adaptability. Not the strongest, not the smartest. Adaptability. So as much as you can, try to have a life outside of work, whether it's hobbies, fitness, friends. Try to create things. I would challenge people to create things like what you guys are doing creating like a podcast, creating value, sharing your words. And you said it's well listened to, and I, I totally agree, like it's an awesome podcast. That's kind of stuff that I think will prepare people. Being entrepreneurially minded is not, it, it, it's, it's not optional, it's necessary. You have to think outside the box. Because like, we're seeing all these layoffs for right now. We don't know how technologies will impact our life, right? I think there was a National Geographic article where They said that it took 4,000 years to go from the Abacus, which is like a Chinese calculator with beads, Mm -hmm. to the iPad. And apparently in the next 10 years, you'll see a technological shift that represents that large uh, a shift in terms of innovation. You can't imagine that. So the best thing you can do is just learn how to be adaptable. Have fun, be positive, and stay adaptable.
1: I love that. I saw a photo just yesterday on Twitter of a... They were transporting a 3.7 megabyte hard drive onto a plane, and this thing was 2,000 pounds large. And now that's the size of like one screenshot that we take on our iPhone that's in this quarter-pound little device. It's crazy how fast we're moving now. It's crazy. It really is. That's I want to ask you something. Um, how would you define the word entrepreneur? What is an entrepreneur? Because I've heard so many different definitions of
0: it. For sure. I, I don't have a dictionary on me, but I believe in French... It was something around theatricality and the stage, actually. I think, like, the actual word itself. And listeners can double-check that. I think for us, we probably, you know, entrepreneurship and entrepreneur is an interesting term. We probably align it with change-maker or change-agent, like someone that's doing something that's disruptive, doing something like action, action-oriented. So, someone that's action-oriented that drives a change and an impact in something—that's that's the defining characteristic of an entrepreneur: is action.
2: Mm. Was well, there anything else you'd like to leave
0: our listeners with um, before before we wrap this up? If you guys are listening, you should definitely subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you mentioned that this podcast is listened by some folks who are in your demographic and. Again, I would just challenge all those folks listening here to there's a lot of things we talked about here. Um, Probably not a lot that people would agree with. And I think inspiration and motivation is temporary, but discipline is forever. So build good habits. And all these things, like we talk about excellence. We talk about, like, working out multiple times a day. Like, these are things that might seem out of your reach until you do them. Heralding to what I said earlier, what Napoleon said, the word. Impossible is not French. So just like start going past that. Dream bigger, aspire bigger, climb higher. Yeah. And what's the uh, the
1: Atomic Havoc's quote? It's well, You don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your
2: systems. You know how like Joe Rogan has background. always like, Yo, Jamie, pull that up. That's like us. Like, Yo, Rohan, <laughs> remember back? Remember that quote? <laughs> <All these quotes laughs> pull it back from your I head instead of all just locked <laughs> in. Just as much as he's, he studies you history. Failed me out the Jordan these... one. I, I couldn't remember that one on yeah. the spot, but the rest <laughs> of
1: them were fine. Um, but yeah, yeah.
2: Thank you so much for coming. It was really nice to meet you. Dude,
1: that was awesome. And then I'll put your website in the in the description. And where else can people find you if they want to learn more? Oh, that's the best
0: place. If that website doesn't put you to sleep, we're in a good spot. So watch, the, watch
1: the Jellybean video. You won't be sleeping after
2: that video. But <laughs> anyways. All right. Thanks All so right, much right, for
0: coming.
2: Stuff. Cool.